This podcast is brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. BankInfoSecurity.com is your source for the news and views shaping security and risk management within the finance space. International payments, globalization, and regulatory mandates are going to affect the financial space like they never have before. How will emerging technologies, expanding channels, and evolving fraud threats impact payment security in 2015 and beyond? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. I'm here today with Gottfried Leibrandt, Head of Markets at SWIFT, the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication. Leibrandt recently spoke at SWIFT's operations conference in New York about digital identity, growing global payments, and security and fraud concerns the global financial market will face in coming years. Gottfried, SWIFT this week hosted its annual operations conference in New York, during which you delivered a keynote address about several trends impacting the global payment space. Security, you suggested, is playing a more prominent role in payments than it ever has before. Can you give our audience an overview of some of the highlights from your presentation as you see them from a security and fraud prevention perspective in the global payment space? Uh, yeah, sure, uh, Tracy. Um, I think uh, as, as banks move payments increasingly to electronic channels, uh, clearly um, corporates and customers aren't the only ones who've discovered the convenience of that. The bad guys have hooked onto the uh, act as well. Um, and I think financial institutions worldwide are, are seeing increasing sophistication of, of attempts to, of fraud attempts using the, the new electronic channels and, and all the new facilities that are offered by those same tools that give convenience to their uh, customers. Um, we're, we're seeing uh, we're seeing hacking attempts into networks. We're we're, uh, we're seeing uh, fraud schemes that span multiple countries uh, that allow people to operate across border, etc. And I, I don't think none of that will be uh, will be new to your audience. Uh, what we're seeing at the same time is banks are responding to that uh, with increasing countermeasures, such as, as token security for an increasing amount of customers much tighter process around uh, identification, authentication, and also increased security um, requirements for their networks. Um, and and uh, I think SWIFT has always prided itself in being a very secure and resilient network. Um, and we are seeing that that plays to our advantage in these, in these trends because we are seeing our customers appreciate even more uh, all the efforts that come with, uh, with running such a network and, and, and what it provides to our, to our customers, the banks. Now, one of the topics SWIFT has been keen to talk about relates to digital identity. SWIFT recently released a personal digital identity solution that it calls SWIFT Secure Signature Key, or 3S Key for short. What is this solution, Godfrey, and how does it work? How will it improve the security of payments transactions? What, what 3S Key does, it, 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 it's aimed at the, uh, at the corporate users that have multiple bank relationships, and these customers find themselves with multiple tokens, uh, one from each bank, to uh, identify and authenticate their transactions with that bank. Um, what this does is it allows them a single token, a single certificate, if you will, that each bank will tie to that customer, and, and thereby they can, they can sign their transactions with all of the banks that they do business with uh, instead of having to switch between these uh, tokens. Um, this solution, by the way, is, is network independent, so you can use it for all your transactions with the bank, not just the SWIFT uh, transactions. Um, it, it, it will 
its main goal is to improve uh, convenience for these corporate customers, allowing them to uh, to use a single a single token. In the end, we think it will also improve the security because it will it will uh, enable more banks to put in place these token measures without overburdening uh, the corporates. And of course, I'm assuming that this is something that can be facilitated for international use, right? This isn't something that's just confined to certain parts of the world. No, no. This is this is uh, especially aimed at those banks that operate in multiple countries with multiple bank relationships, where that that tend to have global treasuries. The, the the biggest of these corporates will have up to up to thousands of accounts with hundreds of banks, um, and and for them especially, this solution should greatly simplify life. And Gottfried, how does 3S Key fall in line with Swift's strategy or vision, if you will, for 2015? Well, our, our 2015 strategy is really aimed at two things. One, one uh, increasing the services to our core segments and then selectively expanding that core. Uh, one of the core segments we've built up over the past 10 years is corporates. Uh, they, they, they are an increasing uh, group that connects, uh, that uses SWIFT to connect to the banks, allowing them, if you will, a single window on, on these banks, use a single format of instructions to send their payments instructions to all the banks. Um, and 3S Key really enhances the services to those corporates. So it, it's, it's another um, uh, another tool, if you will, to uh, to give these corporates better multi-bank services, uh, which is part of our proposition towards the corporate customers. And I'd like to ask you, Gottfried, what will payments look like in 2015? What impact will emerging technologies such as mobile payments and security measures such as authentication, encryption, and tokenization, as you just talked about, what kind of impact will those things have on the global payments infrastructure? Yeah, predicting is hard, they always say, especially the future. Um, and I, I've, I've learned over the course of the years to be, uh, to be cautious in trying to uh, predict uh, the future. I think we are seeing an unprecedented wave of, of changes. Um, what, what is new, I think, is that we're seeing retail trends impacting wholesale. We see things emerging out of techniques, emerging out of the retail and personal space, like social media, like, uh, like Internet browser technologies that start with the consumer uh, space, if you will, and, and then move into the business-to-business -business space. And we're seeing the same in payments. Um, in the consumer pay space, I think we're seeing things, as you say, like mobile, uh, like, uh, like PayPal, if you will, and even Facebook credits, uh, and a lot of, of banks in the corporate banking space and in the business-to-business uh, -business banking space are, are wondering what that means for them. Um, I think it will have an impact over time. Um, one aspect where we're seeing it, for example, in international payments is, is worker remittances. Uh, payments by, by workers abroad, mostly from, from third world countries that send home their payments, where we are seeing a shift and people experimenting with new clearing systems and, and new techniques. And we're also seeing increasingly uh, techniques being used to enhance the security uh, for for uh, personal payments, retail payments, as has been the norm for corporate payments uh, for a while now. And I'd like to talk a little bit also, Godfrey, about the global regulatory environment. Of course, any time we have a fluid regulatory environment, it poses challenges, not only for U.S. entities operating overseas, but also for international institutions and corporations operating in the U.S. How do you see the global regulatory environment impacting global payments? And specifically, what challenges do you see the USA Patriot Act and the Bank Secrecy Act posing for international institutions working in and with the U.S.? 
I, I think those challenges are very significant, and actually one of the, the things I would almost say that keeps up to CEOs of banks awake at night, because they find themselves often in conflicting um, in, in, in conflicting environments where, where one government may mandate something and another government may actually mandate them to do exactly the opposite. And the, the Swiss banks are a good case in point where the U.S. government mandates them to hand over information and then their own government mandates them not to do that because of privacy uh, concerns. And that's just one example of a lot of conflicting demands uh, in, in areas like sanction screening, in areas like, like compliance with, uh, with all sorts of, of, uh, of regulatory requirements that these banks find themselves subject to. Um, the big thing, I think, for banks right now is to use the, the international platforms that they have, such as the FATF, the uh, Financial Action Task Force, that is operating internationally and make sure that as many of these regulations are done in an international context so to prevent to prevent these conflicting requirements that act upon these uh, upon these banks uh, because i think the risk is real that that with all this we we see a fragmentation of of international payments and banks having to make a choice in which jurisdiction they operate which I think in the end will, will, uh, will even provide a menace to international commerce. Ultimately, such fragmentation could, bank, could force banks to choose uh, between which environment they want to operate in rather than operate globally, uh, and that in the end could even provide a menace to, to global transactions and to, to global trade, the facilitation of global trade, if you will. And Godfrey, you raise a good point, and I know predicting the future, of course, is not something that's easy for any of us to do, but when we look out, not just to 2011, but also to 2015, which was kind of the crux of the conference that you recently had. Talking about the regulatory environment, it's very interesting that it could perhaps in some way help to fuel fragmentation. How can financial institutions communicate with regulators, or what could regulators be doing to better communicate with financial institutions as the world becomes a smaller place when we look at payments to help eliminate some of this fragmentation or some of these conflicting regulatory environments that could perhaps lead to more fragmentation? Uh, I, I think banks are in a in a difficult position in that. I think vis-a-vis -vis the regulators, the the banks aren't aren't in a privileged position anyway. Following the global financial crisis, and I think there's real frustration on part of many regulators that they haven't been able to push as much reform through as they they would have wished uh, for all sorts of reasons. Um, so so for banks, that is, and to to then go to these regulators and point out inconsistencies in this regulation is is not a very grateful task. Uh, what they can do is indeed point point out this. Um, I think, to be fair, regulators are as frustrated as everybody else with the lack of cooperation, um, and 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 they see their work cut out uh, for them. Banks can help by by pointing them in the right direction, but ultimately it is the governments themselves and the regulators that are going to have to uh, to resolve their their issues and and get aligned, and that's proving a daunting task. Uh, I think. Uh, as much between between opposite sides of the globe to, to, to say, uh, for example, China versus the U.S., that is, of course, a significant challenge. But even between the U.K. and the U.S., we're seeing misalignment of regulatory measures with, with uh, uh, countries going in different directions. Uh, the U.S., the U.K., and Europe, or continental Europe, I should say, uh, Frankfurt and the ECB, all, all seem to have their own approach to regulation and answer to the problems. Um, and, and that fragmentation, I think, poses a real challenge and, and potential threat to the banking system.
And talking about regulatory mandates, I'd like to talk a little bit about the impact of some of these international mandates or international initiatives. When we think about SEPA, EMV, or Basel, should U.S. institutions operating in and with international markets, which of those should they be most concerned about, or are all of them equally concerning? Well, I, I think they're very different. Basel is, is clearly a, a global framework, um, and, and while it, it seems to have more traction in Europe than in the U.S., I think ultimately the regulators are looking for applying those capital requirements on a global basis, so that will affect everybody. SEPA is, is Europe-specific, uh, but everybody, anybody operating in Europe should be, uh, should be uh, concerned about or, or, or aware about and, and complying with it. EMV, to some extent, the same. Uh, again, while EMV seems to be a global standard, um, and, and this, this is the card world, so a bit removed from the SWIFT world, uh, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert on that. But I think EMV, especially in Europe, has now become the standard for card transactions, so again, they, uh, they should be concerned. So I think it, it, it sort of depends where they, where they operate, uh, but clearly Basel should be a concern of everybody. By the way, I think there's a whole set of other regulations that they should be uh, concerned with, um, uh, other than Dodd-Frank in their own uh, area. MIFID uh, in Europe and, and, uh, and AMIR, which is a whole regulation of the funds world, are things, uh, in, especially in the securities world, that, uh, that banks and U.S. institutions should be worried about. So again, as a reflection of which geography they operate in, there may be different requirements that, uh, that they need to worry about which again is a reflection of the previous point, uh, namely that, that every geography tends to have its own approach to regulation and its own frameworks. And finally, Gottfried, before we close, what final thoughts would you like to share with our audience about international payments, globalization, and the impact on regulatory compliance as well as the changing face of fraud and security that the industry can expect to see in the coming years? I'd like to, to stress the impact of especially regulatory compliance and, and the impact of uh, fraud and security. I think their, uh, their impact is underestimated outside the core banking world, if you will. Um, payments, especially inter international payments, the, 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 the regulatory compliance is putting an increasing burden uh, on it. Uh, banks have, over the past five to ten years, uh, incredibly beefed up their compliance departments. Uh, they've put in place all sorts of checks and balances to make sure they comply with all the different regulations around the world. Uh, they've put in place all sorts of measures to make sure that their, their systems and their customer systems remain secure and, uh, and fraud-proof. Um, so two thoughts. One is uh, I think that trend will continue, uh, and, and it may even intensify, so most banks should reckon with even further challenges in that, in that area. I think at the same time, banks should find ways uh, to leverage this, because at the end of the day, it is, it is now that they've built up these capabilities, it is a real strength towards competition from non-banks, if you will. Uh, because anybody who wants to start shifting money internationally will have to worry about regulatory compliance and will have to worry about fraud and security. So the capabilities that banks have built up here, I think they should be looking at ways to leverage that and, and really see it not just as a cost center, but also as a source of additional revenue, if you will, providing it as a service to others. I'd like to thank you again for your time today, Gottfried. All right. It was a pleasure. Again, we've just heard from Gottfried Leibrand, Head of Markets for SWIFT. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten. This podcast has been brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. 
For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.bankinfosecurity.com.